0: Hey, it's Brandon Laws. Welcome back to Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for the download today. Today's episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR and payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. Well, I'm really excited for today's episode. I have Rayland Logan and Katie Burtis with me. They're from an organization called Cinder, and they help organizations with their diversity, equity, and inclusion practices. So, in this episode, we're diving into the facts of when they start working with an organization. Where do they even start when it comes to EDI practices? I asked them about recruiting and developing a talent pipeline that's diverse. We touch on recruiting practices and whether or not we have bias throughout the process. And we also discuss how to instill DEI philosophies so that it's core to your values in your organization. You're going to get a lot out of this episode there's a lot of good takeaways. Katie and Rayland were amazing. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, any of those places. I'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow Katie and Rayland across all the social media channels. The links are in the show notes. Enjoy and talk to you next week. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. I've got two special guests with me today. I've got Raylan Logan and Katie Burtis. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Of course. So happy to be here. Thanks, Thanks for having us.
0: What's exciting about this is that you two are, are local to my area. You're with a company called Cinder. Tell me a little bit about Cinder and what what you guys help organizations with. So
2: Cinder, so we are a recruiting and equity, diversity, and inclusion consulting company. We started as a recruiting and staffing company, and we started actually as a tech organization. And so there was a need for our sibling organization for testing and people to support those projects. And so the need for staffing and Cinder was born. And so as we are ever evolving, we were on our EDI journey as many were before 2020, but of course 2020 kicked that into high gear. And with that, we've been able to develop our EDI consulting and community programming. And so you might recognize me from all of our events that we put out, the free community events, the Connect conversations, and my name's usually attached to those. So
0: you guys do amazing work and full disclosure for listeners. Zenium uses Cinder all the time. Uh, you guys do workshops for us and our clients. We refer out business to you when we feel like we're way over our skis, uh, and you're just an amazing firm, so I appreciate everything that you guys do. Thank you. You're
1: uh, our favorite partners. Are we allowed
0: to speak that? Are we allowed to have? Uh, one? Yeah, sure, why not? We're <laughs> sharing the love here. Katie, you'd mentioned uh, EDI. Now every time I hear uh, it's DEI, why why EDI?
2: I think putting the equity first just gives it a little bit different flavor, different spin, but really it's, we're all kind of working towards the same goal, right? And so I think that this work a few years ago was always DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, kind of diversity first, but I think When you think about equity first and access and how are people being treated and things like that, that that at the core of, I think these programming, these initiatives is a lot more important to like, how do people feel when they're actually in these organizations, right? I also,
1: I look at it like this. When we lead with diversity first, a lot of times we're still opening ourselves up to tokenism, performative action, because we are focused on, race first. And that's what people think of as diversity, especially here in the States and not really looking at all diversity and what that looks like for equality across all people, because you need equality in order to be more inclusive. And so I think that's another reason I personally enjoy that we lead with equity first, because as a woman of color, tokenism is every single day. And Mm -hmm. so it really allows us to eliminate that and lead with that anti-oppression lens first and that structure and how we approach this work.
0: Have you seen an uptick in organizations, small, medium, large, doesn't really matter, looking for equity, diversity, inclusion, support?
1: I think we saw a huge uptick of it last year in a massive way and with the mindset of we don't know where to start. And I think as we've moved into 2022, Folks are more educated in that space. They're starting to ask deeper questions. And so it's moving more past the, we don't know where to start into the, how do we market this way? How do we retain Hmm. our employees this way? So the questions are becoming more mature, whereas they weren't as mature in 2020 and in 2021.
0: Well, that's good to know because I I was worried that with this uptick of employers talking about it, if it was a check the box sort of thing versus no, they're, they're actually trying to change their ways. And it sounds like it's people are actually genuinely interested in changing the way they look at equity, diversity, inclusion.
2: It's a mixture of both. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Ray. I was going to say the same thing. It's a mixture of both. I think. I mean, organizations that we're working with, we from the start, we're having those deeper discussions, asking those deeper questions. And so if it was someone looking to check the box, they likely said, thanks, no thanks, because we do provide such like depth of conversation, you know, wraparound services with the consulting as well. And so if folks are looking to check a box, they're not talking to us about it, but Yeah, I think there has been a big shift, which is definitely promising because I would be happy to work myself out of a job in this space. And it really comes out in the way that they, you know, interact with their employees and what it truly feels like internally in those companies.
1: I think just to even give more context and depth around that, recently we were talking with a potential client and the question came up of when has this not worked out with somebody that you worked with. And we had to take a beat and say, well, gosh, never has that happened yet, knock on wood, because we spend so much time asking those deeper questions and really eliminating folks from the process of who are harmful and saying, like, we're just doing this to check the box. And so it's a two-way street when you're working in the equity, diversity, and inclusion space. It's not like, Going to the grocery store and saying, I want that box of cereal, let me buy it. It's not that transactional because a lot of times your trainers in this space spaces are people who have historically been overlooked. And so it takes an emotional tax that's associated with it. And in order to do that work, we also want to make sure that we're safe and we feel whole and that, like Katie said, we're getting ourselves to a point where we're working ourselves out of a job because people have gotten to a better place.
0: Yeah. Rayland, you're sp- spoken like a true marketer. You're saying like you filter people out that don't even want to go as far as you want to take them on the, the <laughs> EDI journey. I love that because I'm a marketer as well. So I can appreciate where you're, you're trying to find the right fit organizations who really want to go the distance.
1: Really? That just reminded me of Hercules. Sorry, everyone. This <laughs> is like my life.
0: <laughs> when you start engaging with an organization. So they've bought into the process. Where do you usually start?
1: That starts in the proposal process. So be way before you ever sign. And for those who also have sales and marketing, here you go. Here's my big secret to success. My number one question that we always ask everyone is what's your biggest frustration? What's your sticky point? I think that humans unfortunately really like to complain. So Mm -hmm looking into that human psyche piece of things, it allows you to get more questions that you can ask about what's happening. And so allowing them to air out those grievances, share what's really going down in the organization, allows us to get a deeper understanding of what it is that they need. I think a lot of folks have a want. We want equity, diversity, and inclusion in our organization, but they don't truly understand what they need. And that's our job is to find what you need in order to move forward. It's also the best place to figure out who's just trying to check the box because right. they'll be like, we just need
0: a workshop. What are you hearing from most of these organizations you start engaging with? What do they want? What what's you know, what's the path that they want to go on?
1: We want our leadership to be aligned. Hmm. We want our teams to feel seen and heard. We want to understand what some of our employees are going through because that's not my lived experience. That's your very, very advanced
2: group. Katie, would you add anything to that? I think those are the big ones. I think like creating common language and understanding. In this space is really important because we all come from it with different lived experiences and with different perceptions. And so, when an organization is either starting this work or bringing us in for another round, I don't know what else to call it, but like, you know, bringing us in as another consultant or as another trainer. So, creating that shared language, creating that shared knowledge, because when we come to this work from different experiences, we have. Different understandings of what it means, just like what is equity versus equality. And so, if you don't start there with teams, with organizations, then you're just having all these disjointed conversations. And so, being able to create that shared language internally. And align on that language, I think is really important.
0: I think it's the fun and probably challenging part of starting anywhere is everybody's coming from a different perspective, different experiences, yeah. different biases, perhaps. And so you're, you're trying to probably get everybody to a foundational level. Yeah, it sounds like. Mm-hmm shared language uh, and you probably try to work them towards that. Maybe philosophies at some point,
2: like giving them some easy framework to start with too. Like just in like everyday decision-making, like how are you looking at that? Who's weighing in? Things like that.
0: If they achieve that, they have common language, shared philosophy, the, the basically the why behind why we're doing this in the first place. And then maybe a vision for where they want to go. What's what's the next step for for you guys when you're when you're working with an organization like that?
1: I would say at that point, that's where paths start to be different for different organizations because At that point, you've established more trust. And so one thing you'll hear Marcus, our director of social equity, you'll hear Katie say, you'll hear me say, is we're moving at the speed of trust. So by that point, we've established trust, not only as sender to our client, but within the organization that we're helping more trust with each other, which allows us to ask heavier hitting questions. It allows us to really start to peel back and say, what is the biggest issue we need to take on first and shape what that strategic plan is. So I'd say after you've established that shared language, it's going into, as an organization, what are the things we need to measure, analyze, and hold you accountable
0: for? Do you ever get any resistance in the process? And who does it usually come from?
2: Yes, and leadership.
0: It's usually leadership, but any, like, even just contributing employees, do they... Struggle with us at any given point.
2: Depends on the org. By I'll be brutally honest
0: because yeah, I see yeah. Ray
2: getting uncomfortable there.
0: uh Oh, <laughs> she, she's ready to. To explode here. I love it.
2: I mean, the biggest challenge is leadership is typically the CEOs. Typically, founder led organizations can be really challenging because that founder is also the CEO and very involved in that process and also, like, you know, looks at it as a huge piece of work of theirs. And so, if someone is coming in and saying, actually like the way you're doing things isn't as inclusive as it could be. How about X, Y, Z people feel threatened. And so there's a really delicate dance that, that we help people work through, you know, and even sometimes within the sales process, people are coming to us that aren't necessarily the decision maker. And they're like, can you help us get the decision makers on board? And so it's a really interesting kind of place that Ray and I sit in.
0: I could imagine founder led organizations would would struggle because they it's their baby. They've founded it. It's in a certain way for so many years. And I was, before we started recording, I was telling you, I've been at Zenium for 14 years and there's been times that I'm probably like, well, this is the way we've done it. And with EDI, I know that is probably a fact or no one
2: said anything or I don't know anybody or, you know, what have you, but how far removed are you from that day to day?
0: Yeah. So I, you know, I think a lot of, Pain points in organizations are starting to wake up to the fact that like we need to change our recruiting practices, especially in this environment. I mean, it's it's yeah. hard to find talent alone, but I think a lot of organizations are really moving to hiring diverse talent. We could list off thousands of benefits from it, but with recruiting, it's it's a monster. It's a beast. Where do you even start with recruiting practices? I mean, even from just changing a simple job description, so it has an EDI lens to it, where to find the talent in the first place that's diverse, like walk me through that process.
1: I will give my perspective on this and Katie is probably going to fine tune it and make it the excellent process that it is because that's how Katie operates. But I would say it starts with who is on your team, What really makes our recruiting team so phenomenal, so yes, we do EDI consulting, we also do staffing, and is the fact that we have a very diverse recruitment team. So when you invite in diversity, when we're talking about, you know, it has so many benefits is you're inviting folks with different lived experiences from different communities. And so they have their communities to truly reach out to. We also make sure people are a part of their communities. Just because you present a certain way doesn't mean that's part of the community that you live within. So really looking at what those diverse experiences are and ensuring that there's diversity across the team. Then we're also actively engaging with communities, mm-hmm. making sure that, you know, our money is going to those communities, but not just our money, ensuring that we are actively helping. Katie and I do a lot of events for Sender. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot And many just assume we're like, no, we'll sponsor it. Okay. We're out. But we are actively saying, no, we're going to help design this with you. We're going to sit and talk to you about our panelists. We're going to make sure that every touch point is infused with that EDI lens. So as we are working with those, building those teams, we're also looking into those communities and where we want to help shape. Then we go ahead and we do your normal recruitment. We make sure the job descriptions are gender neutral. We ensure that who we're interviewing, we are presenting folks who are incredible from various backgrounds. And that includes saying, Hey, they don't check all the boxes of what you were looking for from a skill set, but that's because historically they've always been passed over. So please interview them. And that is very much how I see our process moves through and where we start to how we get to the interview.
0: Katie, anything to add there?
2: Yeah, I think adding to that is like ensuring that you are widening the lens of how you traditionally recruit. I think that so many people get so stuck on like, well, LinkedIn or Indeed or name other, you know, job platform site here. Like, how else are you engaging with people that might be looking for work? Where do they commune? Where do they get together? Who is their community? And how can you truly develop relationships with those folks? And then, you know, the, the second half of that is how are you partnering with your hiring managers whether you're, you know, internal recruitment for a brand or an organization or staffing, what do those conversations look like with hiring managers, with interview teams? Do you train your hiring teams and folks that give interviews? Do you give best practices? Do you give, you know, processes a piece of this too? Like, do you have an equitable process to ensure that people have the same touch points along the way and the same shot, if you will? And I think another big piece that I see... Um, being missed in that process is the interview teams. So have you actually brought together that team that's interviewing to say, this is the job description. This is what these skills mean. This is what these don't mean. And this is how we're scoring people. So much like I talked about earlier, creating that foundation of language and knowledge within the EDI space, are you doing that within your interview teams as well? So that everyone, is like aligned at what they're looking for, because we all have biases. We all have favorites or things that we want to see. And so how deep are we kind of going into that too?
0: And that's a good point. How deep are we going? Because what's running through my head right now is there's probably a clear separation from those that are truly doing talent acquisition and putting in the work, getting involved in the communities, writing a job description that's gender neutral, has an EDI lens versus those that are like, I just need somebody in this seat because I'm scrambling to hire somebody and whether it's an HR person or a hiring manager, they're throwing together a job description, they're posting it on Indeed and LinkedIn, yeah. like you're describing, those are two different, that's not even a strategy necessarily. They're just rushing through the process. You're laughing. I would love to hear what you're thinking.
1: My favorite is they rush through the process. They're like, Oh my gosh, it just needs to be done. Like, I don't care. It just needs to be done. They hire the first person that just like made it. And then turn around and have to do the whole process again in six months where we could have just paid the uh-oh tax up front and took our time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now with this community involvement, any suggestions for employers who are like, okay, well, I you know, I sponsor nonprofit events every once in a while, but I'm not truly like involved in the community other than that.
2: Go to the events that you sponsor meet the staff at the organizations that you're sponsoring, learn what they need from you as a community partner and do a lot of listening instead of bringing like solves for problems that you aren't actually a part of.
0: Now, I think another challenge that a lot of employers deal with is having a talent pipeline in general. Is there a way that you've seen where you have... Maybe you are involved in the community on a regular basis, and you've developed this pipeline a reputation where candidates are knocking on your door because they know that you're an EDI-focused employer, you're a great place to work. Maybe that you check all the boxes that they're looking for. Any thoughts there?
1: On building the pipeline, I would say sometimes it's not external. Hmm. I think everybody wants it to be external, but it starts from within. It starts yeah. from within, from building that pipeline of people who are like, we know that from the jump, this is where you can go. And we're helping everyone build internally where it's like, gosh, we're just filling our entry level positions like so much because we're promoting from within and creating an environment where people want to stay here and they want to be a part of what we believe in our mission and our vision. And that's what gets the community knocking at your door, not going from outside and then hoping it's going to happen. That just creates more of that turn and burn. So Mm -hmm. really building it from within and saying, here's what we believe, like, let's get that mission and vision out there and ensure we're taking care of you because we realize you're taking care of the people that we serve or the organizations that we serve is going to go further than saying, gosh, we got to be buddy, buddy with the black community this week. Well, I'm sure sure in September, you're going to be buddy, buddy with the Hispanic community. So let's just call it what it is and make sure we fix who we are inside Before we even start to move out,
0: yeah, I love that point. Now, with HR and a lot of our people practices, we're trying to optimize a lot of what we're doing. There's a lot of very administrative things that we're trying to cut through where we don't have to spend a lot of time on those duties. And artificial intelligence is really making its way into the HR space, whether it's applicant tracking systems and the ways you could basically filter through resumes. Now, are there flaws? in systems like that, where it might perhaps throw a resume aside that otherwise you should be looking at.
2: Yeah, there are huge flaws with those programs because they are built by people. And so anything built by people is going to also hold bias. And so although it is a like computer system that is supposed to help us achieve better outcomes, it is still flawed. And so I think an ATS, yes, you need a strong like system to be able to track data, especially when it comes to looking at diversity and wanting to be better. And in the recruitment process, I think it is best to humanize it as much as possible, specifically in the recruitment process, because you are recruiting people to work for your company. And there's a lot of shortcuts and like scheduling calendars or like recording videos to send to people. But I really think there is nothing that replaces a person looking at a resume or talking to another human about a role.
0: Yeah. But if you get hundreds of resumes, I can understand why it's like, you'd want to use a system like this because I can't spend all day looking through every single resume. So is there, do you have any tips for how to parse through that without having the system like, or relying on the system, which may have biases in place?
1: I think when you look at it, you know, what gets measured gets managed. So in order to combat that potential bias that can very easily come in with AI is are you measuring what's important to you. Because if you start noticing your system is only sending you resumes from white men primarily, let's use that as today's example. And you're wondering, you can't say there aren't women of any race nationality out there who aren't as talented in that same space. So one of two things is happening. Either whatever you were doing was not attracting that candidate that you needed and or your system is kicking them out. So if you're not measuring that and like really paying attention to what it is that your team needs, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Like technology wasn't created to replace people. It's created to help people. So there's still people who are a part of this. I mean, Brandon, you and I were chatting before I hopped on. I have a strong background in fashion, retail, merchandising, marketing. Like I could open up a boutique tomorrow and probably kill it. With that said, though, I have been turned down for huge roles at some large, large retailers because of the AI process. But when I go talk to people who work there, they're like, oh, you'd be like a shoe in for this director position. So the systems are looking for keywords. They're looking for ways to filter and sort. And if you don't write the way that the AI technology scans, you're not going to make it through And that's something that we either need to get really good at writing resumes, which some people can, and then they're a terrible person in real life, which is sad, but true. Or you're a really excellent person who can't write at all, like yours truly, and you don't make it through. So it's really important that you're measuring it. So you're managing it. And I would also say, maybe add a filter for those who are just on the fence, because some of those on the fence folks might be that golden egg you were looking for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A diamond in the rough.
2: The last thing I'll say about that is I think these programs are more often than not created to filter out versus filter in, especially when you're looking at increasing diversity and different community representation on your teams. More often than not, you're looking to call people in. Um, and filter them in versus like out of the process and so that's a way that I always think about AI and look at that with just a little extra critical eye I think
0: so let's keep going on on the bias stuff we're going to go kind of high level here with the NFL they've been under scrutiny recently in the last several months uh, maybe even longer than that but during a head coaching search there's some flaws and they created a rule called the Rooney rule explain what this is and maybe even some backstory to it
1: the NFL they- the Rooney rule, which is their attempt to address the league's lack of diversity in hiring. This is, and that rule requires that every NFL team interview at least one candidate of color for any open head coaching positions. So right now, if we go through the stats of the NFL, I'm going to rattle off a bunch of them is there are 32 NFL teams. There are 31 NFL owners. There are approximately 1700 players on those rosters And of those players of color that start on those rosters, about 1,200 of them are people of color. Out of 1,700. Out of 1,700. So it's a large,
0: large percentage of the players that are active in the NFL starters.
1: Are primarily black if we're getting it real, real, real.
0: real.
1: And of all the head coaches of those 32 teams, only two are black head coaches and zero are majority team owners. So do the math. If 1,200 mm-hmm. out of 1,700 of your players are black, but your head coaches are not, is your Rooney rule really working?
0: How long have they had this in place? They've
1: had it in place since 2003.
0: It seems like this rule, and correct me if, if I'm down the wrong path, this seems like a check the box sort of situation. Oh, it's
1: performative as all get out. And it's been Very harmful. Very harmful. And, you know, we look at, like, let's just go back in time and look at Kaepernick, who, you know, he gave up his entire career. He was a phenomenal quarterback, gave up his entire career because of these injustices. And they told him to sit down and be quiet. And now they're not even willing to truly apologize and bring him back. He's been training this whole time. And you look at Brian Flores, who was like, I got passed up for all these jobs. People showed up to my interviews, clearly hung over. I got calls from other coaches saying, sorry, man, you didn't get it. And he's like, I haven't even interviewed yet.
0: I, I remember it. I think it was a text exchange between Brian Flores and Bill Belichick mm-hmm. and Bill Bill said something like, well, he didn't get the job or it was just a miscommunication and he thought he was talking to somebody else and they'd already made a decision and he didn't even know about it.
1: Yeah. It's those types of harmful things. It's like, it, it hurts Because you're profiting off of all of their talent, but you're not unwilling to have folks coach who already understand what it feels like to be a part of that talent, the skills that it took to get there, but clearly they're not qualified enough to help you further the league.
0: If a giant organization like the NFL makes billions of dollars, they implement a rule like this. Do you think other employers might get the great idea to follow suit and do something like this?
1: You know, I think that Katie could even speak to this more on the similarities of EEO reporting because essentially we already do. Mm. The government makes you if you're large enough. If the NFL is doing it, it's mass media. Like, Let's call it what it is.
2: I also have heard employers actually say they use the Rooney rule. So it has wow. made its way into employment. And yeah, like Ray said, I think it's similarly to EEO reporting that it's checking the box. You know, it's doing the minimum of what you're asked to do. And thinking about those stats with how little Black coaches there are, even though they have had this rule since 2003. Wow.
0: Wow. Yeah, quite a long time. Yeah. And, I, you know, I asked this question and went down this path, and it's a, probably a little uncomfortable for listeners and even for myself who don't, I don't have conversations like this on a regular basis I went this path because you two talk about these issues on a regular basis. And you even have a podcast where you break down some of these things, don't you?
1: Yeah, we're working on building that podcast for Sender. We still don't even have a name, but we're having those tough conversations. showing that diverse folks also sometimes are split in our understanding and what our thoughts are, but that you can have these hard conversations and still leave the table as friends. I also personally have a diverse marketing podcast talking about bringing on diverse folks and just chatting about what harmful things have happened that we see and how we're reflected in marketing because it doesn't always share our story. And this all centers around folks' stories, both senders, both my podcast on how we're projected in real life. That perception is not reality and how harmful some of those perceptions that have been created make it for us in the workplace, make it for us when we walk down the street, make it for us as we just live through life. And that is something that we need to start to dismantle quickly because it is systemic and it is harmful.
0: So the podcast isn't out yet, correct?
1: Correct. It's coming out in June.
0: Okay. So where can people learn more about that podcast or at least get on some sort of list where they they could tune in when it's ready?
1: Yeah, if you just go to our website, teamcinder.com, you can subscribe to our email list. We will also make sure you have that, Brandon, just to go straight to the subscription. You can also just uh, follow us on LinkedIn. We are the most active there, just under Team Cinder as well. You'll find us with our lovely blue icon and exclamation point for the eye and or just connect with both of us individually. So Raylan Logan. I'm the only one in the United States.
2: Not hard to find. Also the only Katie Burtis.
0: (laughs) Let's leave listeners with one parting thing. I I think this is a journey for many organizations. They're not gonna become diverse overnight. It's gonna be a challenge for for many people. But if you could encourage people listening to take the the right steps, which steps are those?
1: Take a step. That would be my advice. Stop making excuses as to how it's all gonna go wrong. And just do something so you can learn from your mistakes. Agreed.
0: Raylan Logan, Katie Burtis, thanks for coming on Transform Your Workplace. It's been such a pleasure.
2: Thanks, Brandon. Thank you. So-